ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What would you say if I told you there's a book that can teach you how to win The Bachelor? What would you say if I told you producers caught multiple finalists reading that book in this season that's currently airing? What would you say if I told you the producers don't want anyone to know that their show has been compromised? How do we know all this? We wrote that book. I'm Lizzie Pace. And I'm Chad Colchin. We're the authors of How to Win the Bachelor and the hosts of the Game of Roses podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we break down all the biggest plays, errors, and MVPs in the game of reality television. Listen to Game of Roses wherever you get your podcasts and go to howtowinthebachelor.com to get our book. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hi, it's Dave here. This is my wife, Kathy. Hello. This is the Cinemile, the podcast where we used to walk home from the movies, but now they're not open. <laughs> so what are we doing instead, Kathy? So tonight... Tell them what they've won. <laughs> we're very excited to be actually renting a blockbuster. Uh, Wonder Woman 84 is out today in the UK uh, on demand. It was yes. out last month in the cinemas very briefly. We missed it. It's out in the States on HBO Max. Uh, but it's been a long time coming. It was supposed to be out last summer. It was delayed. Um, you know, there is a global pandemic going on. But we don't get it for free with a streaming platform. We get it <laughs> for the cushy price of £16.99. Yeah, which we have no qualms about paying. For a rental. We're very excited. And if you think Oh, yeah, about we'll, it, oh, no, we'll pay anything. A trip to the cinema would actually cost us way more than that. Oh, yeah, sure. Sadly, and this is as close as we're going to get to the cinema. Yeah. I just feel like this feels like moving. It feels like date night I'm tonight. actually genuinely excited. Like, I feel like... We're going to put the time aside for it. The kids will be in bed. We'll have some wine. We'll have some wine. Yeah, let's have some wine. Um, And because we both, like, absolutely loved the first Wonder Woman movie. Yeah, it was good fun. Uh, Gal Gadot uh, was, like, absolutely brilliant as as Wonder Woman. Good chemistry with Chris Pine. Yeah. Lovely fish-out-of-water comedy. Love a World War One story. And and, and it had that real superhero vibes when she, like, steps out in the trenches of World War One. You're like, she's a real superhero. It was really good, and I thought Paddy Jenkins did a brilliant job as a uh, director, and we're pumped. Um, And we're going to have a very special guest joining us. So usually when we've guests reviewing films with us, what we do is great fun. We'll go meet them for, for a drink or food or something. Catch up, then we'll go to the cinema, then we'll all go for a walk and chat about the movie. Yeah. It's a great way to meet people. It's a lovely way to meet people. Alas, it's now not possible. No, it's, um, it's, in fact, it's illegal. It's illegal to do that right now. So, so. we will be uh, <laughs> dialing in uh, to Amon Warman from uh, Empire Magazine and, and various other uh, prestigious uh, media establishments, <laughs> uh, magazines, you could say. Yeah, um, so when we've all watched the movie, we're going to reconvene and chat online about it. So you'll hear him when we come back after this. But before we do, Dave is going to say a thank you to some of our um, latest subscribers to our Patreon feed that's patreon.com forward slash the cinemile where we review uh, retro movies every month and a ton and ton of TV shows including most recently yeah. Bridgerton and The Mandalorian yeah so uh, thank you to Matt to Nick to Tim Hopkin to Stephen to Stephen Nunn to Megan Walsh Graham Betts Lee Currid Mike Willoughby and Dick McGee Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you so much for joining. And many, we've had many more uh, new people in January. Uh, we'll shout you out in a, in a later episode. Yeah. So thank you to all of you for joining at the rate of two or three dollars a month. Now, let's get these kids to bed and get Wonder Woman 84 on. Yes. See you on the other side. Bye. Bye. Citizens of the world. I'm here to change your life. Anything you want. 
Anything you dream of, you can have it. You'll break your star ghost. Diana, look at you. It's like now one day has passed. I don't want to be like anyone. I want to be an apex predator. You've always had everything, while people like me have had nothing. Well, now it's my turn. Get used to it. Right, we're back. We have watched Wonder Woman 1984 or 84. I don't know what it's called. It's one or the other. Uh, and we are now joined by uh, Ammon Warman, or Wonder Warman, as he's named himself in the in the chat here. So massive, massive kudos for that. Welcome, Ammon. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. So, Ammon, uh, we watched this uh, just now on our telly box uh, and paid £17. How did you, did you get to see it in, in the movies? I got to see it at the IMAX, um, which was... Oh, IMAX, top tier! Yeah, no, it was crazy, like, just to be back in the cinema among your colleagues, and obviously it wasn't a packed house because COVID, um, so it, it didn't quite fully replicate the feeling of a big multimedia screening, which I've been craving for a while. Because um, I absolutely loved that atmosphere. Yeah. Um, but it was on it was on the morning screening uh, at the IMAX, and just to be back in that atmosphere. Like literally, I was jumping up and down in my seat before the film had even started. <laughs> because when you go to IMAX, they do this ten to one countdown. When they started doing that, I was like, yeah. "Here we go!" What fuck? It felt so great. <laughs> um, and I think. Off the back of that 10 to 1 countdown and the first 15 minutes of Wonder Woman 1984, which I think are fantastic, it just, it was so, it was so awesome to be back in that episode. Like, I, I completely, I was like, the, the film was on track to be five stars after that first 15, 20 minutes or so. Um, just, um. So, well, you got to tell us then, Amon, so what do you think of the other two hours and 15 minutes of this <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's not five stars. I'll tell you that, Dave. Um, no, I, <laughs> I, I'm a bit mixed on One Woman One Nine Eight Four. Yes, I'm going to say the one you didn't say. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I, <laughs> I had fun with it. Um, I enjoyed it. I think uh, a lot of the action is pretty good. I love what she does with her lasso in this. I think it's so hard especially when it comes to super action these days to do something that's genuinely very innovative and fresh. Um, but the things which they do with the lasso in this are really, really cool for the most part. So I like that. Uh, I think uh, for the most part, the performances are really, really good. I think Hans Zimmer's score is fantastic. Um, Hans Zimmer is one of my favorite composers of all time. Uh, and uh, his recent output, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's been hit and miss, but it hasn't really grabbed me in the way a magnificent Hans Zimmer score does. But this score is fantastic. Mm. Um, and I made sort of a, a, a countdown uh, list as I do every year, on uh, at, at the end of every year on Twitter, uh, of my favourite film tracks of the year. And Hans Zimmer's Wonder Woman 1984 score was included in that because it's great. But there are issues with this movie... Um, which really, you know... Yeah, that's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> there are issues with this movie, and it's a shame. Um, 
because Wonder Woman 1984 was the film I was most excited to see uh, uh, this year. Like, I... Um, even back when the first trailers were released, like, you know, 5,000 years ago now, um, like, <laughs> I, I got really, really pumped, and, you know, I, I, I really liked the first one, um, and I was really chomping at the bit to watch this blockbuster, um, you know, uh, for months in advance, so I really wanted it to be fantastic and to exceed the first one, and it didn't quite do that for me, unfortunately. Nice one. Oh, well, Cathy, I'll throw to you then next. So, are you in the same? Uh, are you in the same boat? Disappointed? Well, I, I already know the answer. I don't know why I'm posing it like a question. Uh, well, I'm actually very similarly to Amon. We were like, we were only Some watching it at home on our sofa, and we were like, <laughs> we were like, we were like shivering with excitement to watch this. We were so thrilled to have a new movie. We were like pumped, and we were like sitting in our living room on a Wednesday night. So I can't actually imagine what it would have felt like to be in IMAX. Like, we nearly died when we went to see Tenet last summer in the cinema. I got goosebumps you just describing <laughs> the, the top ten countdown thing. I was, like, transported. Yeah, because I, I, I didn't so, let yeah, ten one countdown. They do, they have, like, you know, what's, what's the word, what's the what's the phrase they have? Like, you know, oh, I can't remember the phrase, but it's, like, become part of the experience or be part of one, then it twists. And then the IMAX logo comes up. You've been to IMAX before. You know what it is. But it's just yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, yes, I'm back in my spiritual home. Do, it do you know what? Good. I would pay, I, I would pay twenty quid just to go sit in that seat and have the <laughs> the, the, the guy or girl come out and give the spiel about like, welcome to IMAX, and then just leave. That would be enough for me. I've uh, always I'd thought that I'd be fantastic at that job. It would be a nice job. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a low bar. Uh, <laughs> I was thrilled when like, the Sky Store rented home logo came off. Um. <laughs> That's how thrilled I was. Well, yeah, it's not the same. Yeah, um, but in just, no, it's not the same. Um, but I did, uh, for sure, I agree with you on like the opening. I thought the opening was class. Yeah. I love all the stuff set like in her homeland. And I think the act, like I love Robin Wright and like I, I love all that stuff. And like we're not going to do any spoilers yet, but you know, similarly to the first movie, there's a lot done in her homeland at the beginning that I really like. Um, and I think Al Gadot is great. Um, I think Christian Wiig is brilliant, right? And they and you you see a bit of what happens Christian Wiig in the trailer, so I'm not spoiling anything that's not in the trailer here, but she kind of... Well, that's, I would say the trailer spoiled most of the movie. Well, actually. yeah, but that's not my fault. So Okay, the, well, just warning here, if you are sensitive to, to... If you want to know nothing about the plot at all that's not in the trailer. Basically, the there's like a bit of a Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman vibe going on with Christian Wiig <laughs> yeah. that I loved. Um, and also a bit of like Meryl Streep in Death Becomes Her. That's what I was getting from her, and I was living for that. So I love Kristen Wiig. After that, That's a good um, what I was really surprised by was because I really, really loved the first movie. I was I was really surprised by I, th- I thought both the script and the story of this film were much poorer. Um, and I looked up afterwards, and you won't believe it, Dave, but um, was it written by twenty people? Well, the last one was screenplay by Alan Heinberg, but Zack Snyder worked on the story. Yeah. This time, the screenplay is by three people, which is always a bad sign. Paddy Jenkins, Jeff Johns, and Dave Callenham, and story by Paddy Jenkins and Jeff Johns. I don't know them. But isn't that so funny because people are so down on Zack Snyder and <laughs> he was involved in the last one and Paddy Jenkins. He's a producer here, isn't he? Well, he's not a writer. They're the yeah. only credits I noted. But yeah, this, I thought the script and the story were, were very messy. Um, I thought Chris Pine... 
look like and I actually really like Chris Pine and think he's very attractive they styled him in this movie like somebody's grandma has just gotten a perm and I don't know why um, what? I was very surprised by how Chris Pine looked at this what movie you, what are you talking about um, I, I, just have but, to inter- so yeah, I, I, I just have to interject here Where where's Chris Pine in your Chris rankings this is very important <laughs> no Chris Hemsworth is top and actually Chris um, from Guardians of the Galaxy would have been second except that I, I now know about his questionable um, uh beliefs in like being a hunter he's a hunter <laughs> so he's gone down the bottom what about chris o'dowd chris o'dowd second yeah for sure yeah um and so then of course i mean like I, the flag for the irish yeah right? basically chris <laughs> guardians of the galaxy's bottom chris hemsworth's top chris pine's hair is bad though what's um, chris pine is a handsome handsome man and he's very <laughs> charming and you, you sorry, lay off dave, his hair dave we're not done with this where is chris evans in this where is captain america in this <gasps> oh uh, Captain America would be third after Chris O'Dowd. Kathy, get your shit together. Right? <laughs> sort out your Chris list. Don't you don't come to this so podcast got, prepared. Next got Hemsworth, Pine, O'Dowd, Evans. No, Hemsworth, O'Dowd, Evans, Pine. Okay. Guardians of the Galaxy one. Pratt. Wow. Pratt. Yeah. That is that is definitely but a unique how, Chris your, list. What's your Chris list? Chris Evans <laughs> and then everybody else, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> No, <laughs> that's the correct answer. And yeah, uh, good. Chris Evans with the beard, Cap, yes. Cap with the beard. Oh my gosh! And then yeah, then you doesn't I matter. I do like a beard, yeah. but yeah. Anyway, so there was a lot going wrong with it. Uh, I also yeah, I I don't want to go into any more spoilers, and I I'm very disappointed because I think at, again we saw it at home, so I, I I'm surprised because I surprised myself at how much I liked the first one. I wasn't expecting to like it that much. And how brilliant I considered the first one. And then I'm really surprised to find this one very lackluster. Yeah, so your hopes were too high. My, no, my hopes weren't too high. My hopes were for, were at the level that the first one gave me. Which is appropriate that I would have the same hopes for the second one then. This film did not even meet our... It, did not, it didn't meet our high expectations, but it also didn't meet our, our what would have been low expectations. It, it set the bar really low. <laughs> I, think, I think I'm going to... I'm going to say, look, and there's things to like in this. There's things I did like in this. But the, uh, I'm going to pick up on Kathy's reference to Michelle Pfeiffer and, uh, and, uh, uh, in Batman Returns because I think that's a good, uh, a good reference. Because this film, to me, has more in common with the DC of like the 80s and 90s, like the Bat- uh, Tim Burton's and jo- Joel Schumacher's of the world, than it does to Zack Snyder's. And I actually think I, I liked that about the film. The film's really campy and... Like isn't and where's um, it the, the the sort of uh, over the top sort of hero vibes on its uh, you know uh, it's very open about that it kind of doubles down on on um, what it did in the first one about just having like heroic heroes which I felt like we all needed right with Wonder Woman after the sort of dour Batman and Superman and Man of Steel and just like oh the world is so heavy on my shoulders <laughs> and here's Wonder Woman it was just like a breath of fresh air and I feel like this sequel really double down on that because it's colorful and glossy and fun it's almost like the richard donner sort of super uh super uh superman vibes you know it's just like this is a proper hero she's out it opens in like she's doing proper superhero work saving people from petty criminals um and she's never dressed as wonder woman though in the whole yeah, she, movie. she's really in this two and a half hour slog fest um <laughs> She, but but I'm kind of I'm kind of with uh, with both of you in that, and I agree with you, Amon. That, that it's the first 15 minutes of this. I kind of really I was really on board. I'm like I really loved the opening. I loved the sort of our intro to 1984 and Wonder Woman, and then when the sort of 
plot kicks in, it's just like, we'll talk about it in Spoiler Street, it's just kind of just like, there's a lot of setup. There's like an hour plus of setup. Um, and then it just, the third act just goes, boom, 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 now this is happening. And now we've got to get here really fast. So it's like, the, the thing is like, like a snail's pace for ages with no stakes. Like there was no stakes. I was, See, I there was a dildo. There was, there was a dildo. Dildo was very important. There was a crystal dildo, which is massively important in this. And um, and that's it. And that's kind of it. And it's just a lot of the first hour and a half of this movie is what is the crystal dildo? <laughs> um, and then and then it's just kind of it's all go 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 from there. And it was and the other thing about this movie for me was that it was really stupid. And I'm I'm okay with kind of stupid, um, silly, nonsensical plot. Um, but it, it, you kind of need... I need something else to cling to. And there was no emotional connection here because I thought there was... For some reason, the chemistry between Gal Gadot and Chris Pine has disappeared from the first movie. Um, and uh, and also the comedy didn't really land. And I know that's subjective. and, and uh, But for me, I didn't, I didn't laugh as much as I wanted to. I, I laughed uh, here and there for sure. I think Chris Pine is uh, fantastic at humour. And I love how he plays uh, a fish out of water. He's a fish out of water in the, on this film. And there's a bit where, there's a montage where uh, Diana sort of takes her, or takes him rather, to uh, this sort of space um, sort of museum and to, to check out sort of, um, uh, planes and stuff like that, which obviously he's very, very into. And that sequence is great. There's a bit where he's going down the escalator and he's looking at it, looking at it wide-eyed and so happy and that sort of thing. And that made me laugh. That was really, really good. Um, but to your point about the plot, this is a film that does not do exposition well because it no. feels like no. many times when it's doing exposition, the, the whole entire film has to slow down and that has to solely be what that scene is about. And then the film yeah. can, can progress. And I think that is a problem for me. I also... Whilst I appreciated the spirit behind it, I typically like my messages in films to be a little bit more subtle than what this film is going for. And I think that's by design. <laughs> but when you're speechifying the movie's themes to me yeah. repeatedly, <laughs> it doesn't. It, it loses the impact on me. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to it in the spoiler section, but um, the final action beats... Uh, I found very underwhelming. And yeah. while I do think that Kristen Wiig uh, is very, very good in the role, she is very underserved by the final 20 minutes or so, which really bummed me out. Um, because, and I get the whole sort of, you know, thread of Wonder Woman beating her enemies, not through fisticuffs, but through sort of the power of words and, you know, belief and all that sort of stuff. And I get that, and that heart that sort of comes through but you know you advertised that big Wonder Woman cheetah fight for a reason you know that is what big part of what people want to come and see with these movies and again we'll get into more detail on it in a second but that was the really my heart sank in that one because that's something which I really wanted to see I also think cheetah as um that that or the, the origin that they give her in this movie um Knowing what I know about Cheetah in the comics and what and where they go with that, um, it doesn't quite it didn't quite work for me. I actually think this movie would have been better if they only had one villain. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, 
yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot, there's a lot of stuff like that which is which which has me mixed on it, which is again a big shame. Okay, well let's let's um, hold that thought because we we don't are not familiar with that character, so we'd like to to, to hear a bit about what you're referring to. Yeah, so she was completely minute. new to us. We um, didn't know we didn't know what was going to happen. We're not Sorry. big uh, comic people, but the uh, but let's let's throw to Spoiler Street right now. So spoiler warning now for um, Wonder Woman 1984. You have been warned. Let's get into the detail. So where 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 do we want to start, guys? Because I got I've actually got so much. I want to like pose as a question because I'm confused. Oh, well, I want to know firstly though, before kind of less spoilery, but like, Amon, what did you think of the 1984 setting? Like, do you think it added anything oh, yeah. to the movie? Yeah, no, I liked what they did with the 1980s setting. I liked that they uh, sort of, you know, clearly took some, clearly took that to heart in many respects, but didn't sort of belabor the point. Like, you didn't hear like a whole sort of 1980s soundtrack, for instance. But mm-hmm. because it's still recognizably 1980s, and I did sort of uh, enjoy the uh, little touches that they put in in regards to that. Again, that scene where Diana takes Steve on this little trip, and you know she sees like the break dancing in the corner and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that 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 made me chuckle, and you know I was sort of. I mean, technically I was born in the 80s. I'm 1989. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I obviously I'm more of a '90s kid, but it was still sort of you know nice to sort of see uh, the sort of '80s touches in there for sure. I was I was born the year this film is set, so it's deeply personal. <laughs> well, Ireland would have been exactly like America in 1984. For I, it sure. was exactly like it. It was just uh, pictures of Ireland uh, running through. Well, hang on, we got it. Sorry, while we're talking about Ireland and the Irish, there, there's a throwaway line in this movie in the montage at the end when all everybody's wishes are coming true. It's like suddenly cuts to some cafe owner in uh, in, in what I assume to be uh, so, somewhere in in England who just offhandedly says, I wish you all, you Irish bastards, would go back to where you came from. <laughs> and then cut to the police showing up and rounding Irish people into vans. And I was just like, what's happening? I mean, no, it would have been peak, peak IRA. Yeah, no, but, I know. But the it also content, says but... very inappropriate. And then the Irish guy goes, well, I wish you were dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I, I just, I, I, I both ad- admired um, their ambition that, that the writers... <laughs> At this moment, we're like, right, we're going to have a montage of people having wishes. Let's make this heavy. Let's get the, 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 uh, the Northern Ireland Troubles in here, the IRA. How, mu- how long do we have to do this? Oh, God, about five, six seconds. I'm pretty sure we can contextualise all of that uh, yeah. very quickly. And the actor has to have red hair. He's Irish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was ridiculous. But I thought the yes. 1980s setting was like, I, I like it, but I sometimes I feel like I'm being a bit cheated because I feel like filmmakers are like, trying to make me associate it with with positive things like you know sometimes on nostalgia you feel like you're you're being a bit manipulated but i also appreciate yeah. they needed to set it quite distantly from the justice league we know now because time must have passed for her but also it's like we just saw the first movie right we didn't we saw it a few years ago but it, <laughs> it the last we've seen of her is like chris pines basically just died and then we see maybe 20 minutes before he's alive in this it's like we haven't missed him as an audience. It felt completely unearned to me when he came back. Like, I felt like nearly the whole movie she should have been pining for him. Then we finally pining for him. <laughs> we finally. Uh, thank you. Together. I've been Dave Corcoran. Um, <laughs> yeah, because it's like even when she gets him right. Like, if I was to imagine that my love Dave was dead for what God, it's me. six years, right? You've just come back. <laughs> Firstly, 
we'd probably spend a few days on our own together. Like, they yeah, immediately... That's what they do. They, they go to... No, they go they to go this to... dude's flat instead of her flat. I don't know why they go there. And then they say... They, they have one night together. They get up first thing the next morning, get out and leave and go to, like, a space museum, like, a train. It's like... Like, and they're just all, like, witty banter. It's like, no, he died. And you've lived 60 years alone in celibate. And, like... You're so just you just, want, on you just want them to hang around this dude's house all day? I like, want them to hang bunking. around her house, bunking. I think, <laughs> I think the, bigger, the bigger issue when it comes to the return of Chris Pine, an actor who I really, really like and who is really, really good in this film, is how he's essentially wearing another man's body. And yes. They yeah. don't seem leap. bothered by it, by it at any point. Um, yeah. That is a problem. Um, it is a problem, and, and, and also that guy—that guy just shows up at the end, and yeah. is just like fine. He's just like, as in, he seems to be a pretty fine, well-adjusted person, <laughs> despite having either a memory of everything that's happened or complete like holes in his memory for several days. And like, what there's just going to be like, let's face it, like some there's going to be like beep. Loads of things in his apartment will have moved around. All his clothes will probably be out from the fashion montage. Like, yep. that man is will be screwed up for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Where was he? But I also thought, like, what's the... And I often have had this question about Quantum Leap. What's the consent here? Like, you're, you're, have, you're like, having sex with his body, but Chris Pine's inside it. Like, it's actually really fucked up. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I appreciate they wanted to bring Chris Pine back and they're trying to figure out how to do it, but I'm on it. Do you know the... Co- like, did this happen in the comics? Because it's really weird. Oh, I I don't know. Not, not in any of the comics that I've read. Um, so, yeah, I, I would need to research that and give you a definitive answer, but right now, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it, just, it is, it, it is it weird work. that it's just not addressed. Like, I can appreciate that, you know, in a comic book movie, some magical, nonsensical stuff might happen and we just have to go with it. And for a while, I thought I did kind of go with it. Um, but to not address it is, to not, is, to, is not true to the character of Wonder Woman as we understand her. Um, she yeah, is I- heroic. She would, you know, address it to a point and you know try and figure out what is going on with that in mind rather than try and figure out what is going on just in pertaining to whether or not she's gonna lose her love again um mm-hmm. so 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 that was a problem exactly sure. the wonder woman i know would bring that man back to her own apartment to bump him <laughs> and not go to his apartment it's not the, not the heroic move but you're right yeah she'd no moral question like she just undid her wish so that um Pedro Pascal wouldn't win. She didn't undo her... Or so that she get her own strength back. She didn't undo the wish because she was like, we've stolen this man's life from him. <laughs> I heard, yeah, well, look, I, I think we could talk about this forever, but let's move on. The, um, the, 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 on the subject of the wishes, right? I, and I, I had this problem with a few things in this movie. It, it doesn't really um, establish any rules and so to your point about sort of magic I, I i'm kind of okay i'll go along with magic right so i'm like yeah fine it's wishes it's magic it's fine but i'm like then pedro pascal starts going give me you know he turns himself into the stone which i thought was a baller wish i was like <laughs> nice that's a, i was didn't see that coming i was like this is cool and then he starts just going around saying go on what do <laughs> what do you wish for say say something i want your wishes and he's like just this hungry genie looking for wishes and um, but then he's like doing the thing where he just starts to add like um, like addendums onto their wishes. He's like, 
So the, so the oil guy, right, goes, you know, oh, I wish you all the success. I wish you had all the oil. And he's like, thank you. And he's like, and I'll also take all your security team. And, uh, and I'll take this ashtray. And it's just like, <laughs> but wait, you're making wishes now? I don't understand. And then, and towards the end then, it's very much like, yes, but also when you give a wish, when you make a wish, it takes something from you. And I'm like, so wait, you're adding this in now with 20 minutes to go. And that's what he's been doing the whole time. And then suddenly everyone knows to renounce their wishes as if, as if, and Wonder Woman very explicitly, Diana just like, there's no mention of this in any of the Mayan shaman shaman text that they stumble on in the no, third the act from, from a guy who has a leaflet. The guy with They're the flyer like, explained it. That's, that's also another problem um, of this film. That's, like, that's bad screenwriting. That's just no, like... A, no, we, sorry, go on. Not only is it bad screenwriting, but they... I mean, when it comes to representation in this film and stereotypes, um, this film is not good. And I mm. believe yeah. that the guy who's playing the mind, they just like had a guy with like dreadlocks there and... That there's a honestly that that conversation could take up a whole nother podcast, but it's it's just it's, it's not good. There's definitely uh, some things which people did not think about uh, the way they should have um, for this movie. And given everything that this movie does do for representation, um, that's a shame that you know more attention wasn't paid to stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's max of laziness, and I mean that that whole. The, the casting, the but that that scene itself smacks of laziness. It's just like we yeah. need to get from here to there. So literally, this happens. Like Kristen Wiig's just like, "Hey, I'm out of ideas, but I found a leaflet," um, and then it just happens to be the guy. And there's no mention in that book of like you need to renounce your wish. But she knows that she just says it out loud as if as if it's you know I renounce my wish as if she knows that's going to work. <laughs> And it does work. Yeah. But I'm just like, and she doesn't even check that Chris Pine is is gone, and the wishes. She just, do you know what I mean? She's running away. That's from what it. I mean. They're good, but like Chris Pine and her, are like supposedly back together after like seventy years. Obviously, it's been mere moments to him. She has like very obviously been celibate and alone for seventy years, and then it's like she just says goodbye to him and walks away. Like I didn't even cry. Like I cried anything. There was no weight in in their goodbye, <laughs> and I almost feel like. They shouldn't... I appreciate they want to bring Chris Pine back. He's brilliant. He's a movie star. He actually shouldn't have been in this movie because they... It was just... It was so wasted. I feel like if we'd waited in, like... And in the next Justice League movie or in the next Wonder Woman movie, they finally got him back and we had seen her really missing him. Yeah. It would have meant something to me, but it meant nothing to me. And, and like, the first day they're back together, they're doing the silly fashion montages and it's like, I just don't... I didn't feel it, even though I laughed at some of it. And it's like... But I, I'm interested to know uh, what you think of on, like, I know you mentioned, like, the big set piece at the end, because from home, it looks really, really hokey, and, like, on our relatively small TV, Kristen Wiig looked like, it. it she just looked very badly CGI'd when she became, like, the full cheetah. Uh, it looked bad on the IMAX screen, too, as well, Kathy. my goodness. <laughs> I just, there's so much about that final action beat, which really annoys me. Um, because, one, you know, it's the big action fight scene and the CGI on Cheetah is poor. But also the Wonder Woman armor. You spent however many months marketing this thing and she's in it for all of 2.3 seconds. One. Two. There's no story impetus for her to go and get the armor in that moment because now she's learned how to fly so she doesn't need the wings for it. 
Two, she's got her powers back and she could take anyone like she's been taking anyone anyone and everyone throughout this entire DCEU, not you know, just this movie, but anytime Wonder Woman's at full strength, basically nobody else has a chance. There's no story impetus for her to go and grab that armor before going to where Max Lord is. There's just none. Because she doesn't know that Cheetah yeah. um has, you know, transformed at that point. She doesn't know. So that was really oh God, you're right. yeah. uh, frustrating um, because what, if, if you're going to sort of put all that energy into, you know, teasing this thing, you want it to have a really big impact. And she does, well, two, like, maybe like two things with it. And I think there's a, there's a bunch of like guys um, sort of guarding the complex and she sort of takes them out pretty simply. She does her big sort of uh, move with her um, band braces um, but again the, the X Factor thing yeah <laughs> the X Factor I like it she, she should steal that from you no <laughs> um, but yeah this is not something which she needs the armor specifically to do um, and at that point she does not know that Cheetah has transformed um, so there's no story impetus beyond the fact that this armor looks cool we've been teasing it for so long here it is for 2.3 seconds and then it's done and that for me was a frustration yeah no i'm 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 totally with you i mean i think it's just another example of this plot this screenplay just filled with uh things that don't necessarily have a reason to be there or um any or move the plot along it's just filled with stuff and the first hour and a half of this movie has no uh she had diana has no motive beyond uh, bunking Chris Pine and um, finding out what the, the crystal dildo is. And she's not even that bothered about that because... <laughs> right? Because she got her boyfriend mm-hmm. back. Yeah. And, the, and, yeah. and then the two of them are like suddenly just like, oh, we need to go to Egypt now. Um, and they're like, well, why? Um, and, de- and, and then, then it's like, what sorry. are they portraying over there as well? It's like this crazy view of like what oh, yeah, whoever that, made this movie thinks Egypt is. That felt just very out of the box Arab 101. Uh, didn't, didn't feel like uh, uh, they, they paid much yeah. attention to, to the culture uh, there either. Yeah, there's another big mistake when it comes to stereotypes of representation, which is a, a big shame. But yeah, that Egypt sequence is really weird. I, I get that, you know they wanted to shoot a big action sequence there. But again, in terms of actual story movement, the only thing that happens is that this guy gets a few more henchmen. That is it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, a wall, a wall comes up. And, wall comes up. and like, you know, you, you've taken... The, the amount of story time that takes um, is substantial. Um, and it yeah. shifts the entire focus away from, uh, from the US. Um they they're flying back and forth. It, it's it's unnecessary. Um, and invisible again, it, it speaks to your uh, point about the story being messy. Um, mm-hmm. it, they they needed to streamline the streamline this thing and make it a lot more uncomplicated. They do that uh, by a better story, and they do that I think again by having uh, one less villain. Uh, splitting yeah. those duties I think is part of the problem. It makes it I, I will more, say though, more that complicated act- and convoluted. That, that action scene did contain one of my favorite tropes in action cinema is when, uh, particularly superhero movies, when two characters are able to communicate a very, very complex maneuver to each other merely by a glance or saying each other's name. So there's a moment in this movie where um, 
Chris Pine in the middle of this Raiders of the Lost Ark convoy action scene in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Chris Pine just uh, has, like they're in trouble, and, and then Chris Pine like takes a missile launcher from one of the, the trucks, <laughs> points it in the air, and then looks to Diana and says, just says the word Diana. And then fires the missile, and she instantly knows to lasso the missile. <laughs> and then gets catapulted, like, whatever, a hundred feet to save some some children who've wandered into the road. And I'm just yeah. like, that is true love. Basically. And the children on the road as well is just like, oh. I think they're trying to do the same thing they did in the first movie when it comes to the, when it came, when it comes to the shield maneuver. Um, but it doesn't work as well. I mean, well, I mean, it works as well, but in terms of you know the the story point, as you say, in terms of the simpatico, um, they take it to another level with that move. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. yeah, you know what? The rule of cool. I'm going to give that a pass because the rule of cool does apply there, and that that is a good <laughs> yeah, move. Yeah, I, I, so I'll give it that. Same. I'll I'm also say that for all the issues that I have with that sequence, the score in that sequence is awesome. Like it is the best rendition. Of the Wonder Woman theme, uh, ever, I think when when she sort of you know leaves the car, and then you get that shot of Wonder Woman running, and it goes. Okay, here we go. Yeah, that got me pumped in IMAX. I'm not gonna lie. That is good. So didn't Hans did Hans Zimmer make that for the Justice League, and then he didn't do the first Wonder Woman, did he? And he's come back. Have I got that right? That is correct. Uh, so theme? the first Wonder yeah, yeah. Woman was was composed by Rupert Gregson Williams, uh, and that is a fantastic score. It's one that I really really enjoyed. Um, and here's here's something I'm going to say. You know, I really liked what Rupert Gregson Williams scores. I said, and Hans Zimmer is one of my favorite composers of all time. They should not be doing these movies. Women composers should be doing these movies, and yeah. Yeah. it's a shame. Okay. That, you know, obviously I'm a big fan of Patty Jenkins. Um, and I think she's an incredible uh, woman and an inspiration in many regards. Um, but she should be pulling women composers into this. She should be using her clout, especially when the clout that she had on this movie, to mm-hmm. do that. Um, because there's not many women composers, one, there's not many women composers composing big blockbuster films. Um, and, you know, one of the things that Captain Marvel got right is that they got a woman to compose it, Pinar Toprak, and it was a mm. fantastic score. Um, and that is the first sort of you know, major superhero blockbuster that a uh, woman has scored, I believe. We should not still be having those kinds of firsts in 2021. Um, yeah. And it's a shame that this landmark movie, Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman, Wonder, no, not one of, the biggest women superhero in the world, um, mm has not had that same representation uh in the, at least in the least of the composer field across either movies either movie i think that's a shame yeah good plus point. as as good as as good as hans zimmer is it does feel like hans zimmer is scoring every movie that comes out now i mean Personally, i'll say like this like there, there there has been a backlog of stuff uh so i'll give it that but my goodness, he's got this, he's got June, he's got No Time to Die, he's got Space Jam 2. I mean, he's got Space Jam 2. The guy is woken. He is woken. Um, so, but yeah, it is what it is. I mean, I, I'm not going to complain too much because, again, Hans Zimmer was the guy who opened my ears to what film scores can do. That Gladiator score is such a monumental thing to me. 
Um, oh man, we, I was, it was on Channel Five the other night, and I, I just sat oh. down flicking past, and I watched the whole thing because that and that score is beautiful. That's it's, like it's top it's, tier, it's my it. favorite score of all time. Um, yeah. So yeah, oh, and that I'm film. I mean. We can't stop. We can't start talking film. about it because obviously, if we start talking about it now, this is going to become a gladiator podcast. That shit. Yeah. Um, I'm with you, guys. So, like, everyone, watched- it holds up. 21 years later, it is, it's an amazing. Dave film. watched yeah. it on Channel Five with ads. Like I watched it with ads, <laughs> and I was just, and I was just like, I'm sticking around for this. It's um, so good. And look, lads, I'd love to listen to a gladiator podcast for you guys a different time. Um, but there's so much to talk about this movie, but I think we kind of need to wrap it up because Amon's been very kind and recording very late with us. Uh, yes, thank you, Amon. A- annoying people who were like, can you do it when our kids are in bed? Um, but <laughs> we, should we talk just a little bit about um, the, the the ending, the post credit sequence, but briefly I wanted to talk about like the ending which you touched on, Dave, which is like... Uh, the monologue. She bumps the it, truth monologue. She bumps in, no, I'm not even going to go there. The scene with her and Pedro Pascal was just a fucking mess when she's talking <laughs> to TV and everyone in the world listening and he's like, son is talking to him. And so, it was just, it actually doesn't warrant speaking about how bad that scene was. A quick, quick note, well, very, can I just say one thing on it? Was I'd have loved to see it in IMAX because I imagine it looked that, shocking. I presume, Amon, that's what you were referring to earlier when you were talking about the theme of the movie being delivered in dialogue. <laughs> uh, yeah, that I mean, I, you're. you're Exactly, and and we're like, who's she talking? But to? also, the, the dialogue was really made no little sense. I thought, um, and I just couldn't stop thinking about the people receiving that message. So you're just in your kitchen, <laughs> like listening to the radio or watching TV or whatever. Then this dude comes on and says, "I, you can have anything you want," and you just offhandedly say, "Jeez, I wish I had a, a really sharper knife right now." And then it's just like, "Oh, there it is." And then two minutes later, this woman with a strange accent comes on and starts like harping on for about a minute and a half about like truth and the real thing and then suddenly I go I renounce my wish <laughs> yes. like, what it's, exactly a, it's, right. a, it's a tricky tricky thing because I do appreciate the fact that one woman doesn't typically solve problems with her fists and that's something that we need more of in superhero media especially in the DCEU um, but I just prefer my messaging in movies to be more subtle. And while I do appreciate the sincerity and the heart behind that message and behind that scene, um, and it's honestly too hard. It's, it's honestly hard to stay too mad at the movie, which has that level of sincerity, especially after mm-hmm. the yeah. four years we've just had. By the way, the the the, the Trump esque uh, ways they they <laughs> the, the Trump you know homages they are doing in this in this film signaling you know who this guy is meant to be you know <laughs> yeah. doing it, it's it's very on the nose my goodness um but yeah like it's hard to stay too mad in a movie which is that sincere um but it's it's a tricky thing because like we live in a very cynical world and i don't think the world of one woman 1984 um is essentially sort of you know it's it's a much different world to our world in in that mm-hmm. regard, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. And I get what it was going for, and I you know it's hard to look at it in a non-cynical way, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Because of the cheesiness of it and the way that it's delivered, uh, which yeah. is why I say that I prefer my messaging to be more subtle, because I do think it has more of an impact that way. Uh, they elected to go in a much different way and more power to them but I think it only half works because of just my preference yeah and it's just messy like it was it looked a mess 
it was a mess it was yeah I found the ending so messy and then when it all wraps up and like Pedro Pascal gets back to his very cute son it's like I was like okay I didn't quite understand was everything resolved then like were all the wishes undone that like that was unclear and and that frustrated me too I do and think... is he like arrested? Can you be arrested for like becoming a magical dindo? <laughs> like, what's his crime? What crime did he commit? Like that's it. I, I don't. That, that's that's it, Kathy. Book him under becoming a magical dildo. I would love to. Like we need to we need to we need to see the Wonder Woman 1984 cut, which has that scene at the end of the, in the post credit scene. Look at the book. What, what's he arrested for? Becoming a magical dildo. Somebody make that movie. <laughs> um, I was going to say I will say that and again this is why I say the world that One Woman 1984 exists in maybe a bit different to ours because I think that that the movie is positing that sort of after now, now that this has all been resolved everything's going to go back to normal everything's going to be good again and you know as where you know if you, if you mirror that if you look at that and you look at the real world that is not what's going to happen. Like, even though things are hopefully going to start getting better once Trump is out of here, which is thankfully happening, if not already happened by the time this has gone up. Um, what he has stoked over the past four years is not going to go away anytime soon. Uh, this is not just like, you know, things happen, you know, things get better and everything's fine again. This is not mm-hmm. that in the real world. And I think that is a sort of the message that Wonder Woman 1984 is trying to pilot, which makes leads me to believe that the world that the movie is taking place in is much, much, much different from ours, even though there are, of course, similarities. If that makes sense. Unless, unless Trump renounces his wish on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there would be a lot if he truly stood up and and, uh, and asked for forgiveness and renounced his sins. It will never happen. Um, and then right at the end, it's like suddenly, I don't know if you've seen Christmas on the Square, the Dolly Parton movie, but it suddenly not. turned into Christmas on the Square. Like, Beat by oh, beat. Yeah. It's just suddenly she's just like oh yeah, so so the theme of the movie the Diana's arc is like basically she needs to Learn to love again. Yeah, Chris Pine lets her go and she needs to live life because the opening of the movie is her eating alone and and looking very sad and then uh the end of this movie is her still being alone but looking happy and staring at children in the snow. Um, and at men that she's had sex with but they don't remember that they have Oh, God, you're right. It's so creepy. <laughs> but, but anyway, on the square, it's like, there's a, like a, an old like uh, kind of lady beggar and people are around her. And then the way the set's done is like beat by beat the end of Christmas on the square, which astounded me. Yeah. Um, but then the post credit scene, in fairness to it, I did like to see. I love Linda characters. So I was really pleased about that. That yeah, was cool. Fun. Um, and the yeah, fact that, that she cool. had been the woman that they very offhandedly talked about. And I wish they spent a bit more time talking about the original warrior who came to Earth and remained hidden. Mm-hmm. That was cool. And the arm was hers. But, like, they could have done more with that. I imagine they're going to do more of that in Wonder Woman with, in Wonder Woman 3, which has been uh, fast-tracked uh, by Warner Brothers. Uh. But I think, uh, people, the, the point we're trying to make here is that this movie was good, but it could have been better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's di- it's disappointing. I think, I, I, and I, I've been very negative, but I, now, largely I just like to. It's, I have fun picking apart. But stuff. it's just middle of the road, and the problem is it shouldn't have been because it was the yeah. shining beacon of the DC universe, and they just they mm-hmm. blew that. Now, like I'll be very cautious going into the next movie. I'll still go, but 
Exactly. Like they've blown it for me a bit, and I think we all just we, we all were just, on a pedestal. We all wanted this movie to be better, right? And they had yeah. enough time. I mean, the release was continually delayed. Like you know, you could have fixed some of this in the edit. Like <laughs> you really could have. Okay, look, final question for everyone then: What do you want the sequel to be? Uh, what's the title of it? For for me, it's Wonder Woman 1999. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I've, they're I've, not going to go by year again. I've already discussed this. I want the movie which Kathy sort of posited about, you know, what happened to Pedro Pascal's character. <laughs> How did he get arrested? I, you, let's see you want the movie. dildo? You want you want the dildo trial? You want the yes. whole? It's a it's a courtroom drama. A few good dildos. <laughs> Magic is happening in this podcast right now. <laughs> Warner Brothers, are you listening? <laughs> Pay us our monies, make this movie. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I just wanted to be Diana. Um, I don't want Chris Pine back again, and I really love the actor. But oh, he's just, not coming back. He adds nothing. Well, they would they would undo her whole arc in this but movie. It pisses me off. Like I know I keep banging on about it. But I actually feel like they brought Chris Pine back in because of that age old lie that a woman can't lead a movie, and they felt like we can't do this without Chris Pine. It pissed me off. Next time, I just want Linda Carter, Linda Carter, and um, Gal Gadot, and just like rocking it out together. I will say this: like this is part of the reason why you know I think I love the Themyscira bits in both this movie and the last movie but one the woman should be interacted interact with more women in yeah, these films yeah, yeah. and if they can figure out a way to get her back to Themyscira or to have more Themysciraeans come and join her in the real world I think yeah. that would make a boatload of difference to the quality of the movie that'd be amazing um, and I because, think Patty Jenkins know, one, one, don't write it because one of the things which um, no, we don't have time to get into that. But one of the things which bothered me about the movie as well is that in making so much of Diana's sort of screen time about being with Steve, we don't really get enough of just Diana herself and developing that character on her lonesome without Steve helping her out at every turn, not only in this mm-hmm. movie, but also in the last movie as well. Um, so with yeah. Wonder Woman 3, I would hope that they really sort of make that the singular focus, have her interacting with more women, simplify the storyline, streamline the story, streamline the storyline? Oh my goodness. <laughs> simplify, simplify the storyline and, and streamline things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that will lead to a better movie. Fingers crossed. I agree. I, and, and I agree. And I think we, did, we don't get enough of development work on Diana. And that's what we want and need. The, woman, the movie's called Wonder Woman. And the, she's been around between these two movies for 60 years. And all we get is like um, a picture of her standing in front of a ranch from a few years ago. Like, what's she been doing? Like, give us something more, movie. Yeah. Um, okay, we need to wrap it up. We're going to go offline together and develop a few good dildos. Um, the three of us. I'm going to write that screenplay. Um, but in the meantime, Amon, thank you so much for staying up late to do this with us. Um, okay. And tell our listeners where they can find more of your work. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at a woman. Uh, you can follow me there and find all my work there. Uh, I am a contributing editor at Empire Magazine. I'm also a monthly columnist at Empire Magazine. Uh, so you can read uh, all my work uh, there. The next issue of Empire Magazine may already be out by the time this comes out, but it is, and you can't miss. Like we've got over, we've got forty amazing, famous people to. Uh, uh, jot down uh, their amazing cinema experiences and I can't wait to read that like we've got the likes of Chris Evans Edgar Wright um, 
uh, Daisy Ridley. There's some like if 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 you if you look at the the newsstand cover, uh, which is amazing. The artwork is amazing. Then you, you get a flavor of who's going to be in cover. there. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Uh, I've got a big feature there in, in this in this issue of magazine called, uh, for for Judas and the Black Messiah, which is a film that everyone should be really excited to see. Um, it's fantastic, and I spoke to the director Shaka King and the Keith Stanfield for that. Um, and I've got a couple of bits and bobs in there as well. Um, and yeah, if you if you follow me on Twitter at a warm, and I'll be posting all the good stuff, so you can just do that. Cool. <laughs> and weren't you just like casually on a Zoom with Viola Davis the other night? Yeah, she's my bestie. You know, exchange numbers. <laughs> yeah. I was so jealous when I saw that. <laughs> yeah, no, that was cool. She she is a queen. I did a BAFTA Q&A for Marvin's Black Bottom, which is on Netflix right now. You should see it if you haven't already. It's fantastic. And she is fantastic okay. in it. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, she was on very, very good form in that Q&A. So it's good. That's amazing. And then you have to do this. I'm sorry. Such a fall from grace. <laughs> <laughs> but next time, hopefully, we'll see you in person. We'll actually go for a walk, go for a yes. drink, go for a movie, do it the right way. I want that voucher. Yes. Um, so thank you. Oh, yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. We, we definitely owe you a voucher. We owe you a, for a very for strong a, drink. One free, one free drink and uh, extended dildo chat, uh, courtesy of the cinema. Okay. Can't say no to that. Thank you so much. Oh, Thank and we need guys. to say for anyone um, who hasn't already done so, um, if you haven't already rated us and subscribed to us wherever you listen to podcasts, please do. And we're on all the social medias at The Cinemile. Yes. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening and thanks, Amon. You know, I'm not so keen on this one. I figure uh, you are, but you know what? I'm ready to go. I think we can do better. Parachute pants? Yeah. Um... Does, it, does everybody parachute now? ACAST.COM